For a few weeks now, we have been looking at a theme that we have uh, based upon the Memphis School of Preaching Lectures from this year, 2013, an excellent theme entitled, The New Testament Christian. The New Testament Christian and various aspects of New Testament Christianity. The New Testament Christian uh, contends for the faith as we looked at that lesson that uh, Brother Paul Sane had presented there and based our study on, on that particular lesson. The New Testament Christian knows that he is saved. Larry Acuff's very fine lesson. Larry is a white oak boy, white oak product, and very fine gospel preacher. David Sane's uh, lesson and others that we, Lord willing, will look at from now through about the end of the year and about 20 lessons on Sunday morning on a variety of subjects that I think are timely and extremely important. This morning, we're going to look at the New Testament Christian honors God in his home. The New Testament Christian honors God in his home. This was a lesson that Kelvin Pugh presented, and I'm going to simply use a, an introductory statement or two that he makes from that lesson that I think will bring into focus the significance and the importance of, of this study. Under the heading of Attacks on the Home, Brother Pugh wrote, on Sunday, September 23rd, 2012, the 64th Annual Emmy Awards aired on television, and the television program, The Modern Family, won five Emmy Awards. One internet blogger wrote concerning this show, quote, the premise of the show is in fact quite simple, portray the everyday lives of modern American families. The series' success undoubtedly lies in the fact that it addresses all of the important family dynamic issues, diversity, tradition, love, money, culture, and change. Surely Pritchard, Pritchett, uh, I assume that's a character on it, Pritchett learns to embrace the diversity of his family just as we all need to learn to embrace the diversity in our society, end quote. Well, Brother Pugh goes on, television shows such as The Modern Family are trying to make the sinful lifestyles of same-sex marriage, adultery, and fornication a functional part of the modern American family. Judging by the number of people who watch the show, it is accomplishing exactly what it is designed to do. It is desensitizing America to accept sin through comedy. The prophet Isaiah wrote in the long ago, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light, and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. Isaiah 5, verse 20. He goes on, Since the modern family was so successful on ABC, NBC decided to develop its own sinful show. The show is called The New Normal. NBC's website boasts, move over modern family, there's a new kind of family in town. The NBC website describes the show in the following fashion. These days, families come in all forms, single dads, double moms, sperm donors, egg donors, one night stand donors. It's 2012 and anything goes. Brian and David are a Los Angeles couple and they have it all, well, almost. With successful careers and a loving partnership, there is one thing that this couple is missing, a baby. I think those quotes from Brother Pugh certainly indicate the kind of difficulty and challenge that we face in America 
today. And why it is absolutely imperative that we emphasize a lesson such as this, that the New Testament Christian, if he is truly a New Testament Christian, the only kind there is, honors God in his home. This morning I want us to look at several aspects of the modern society family. The family according to modern society. The family, according to modern society, is, first of all, mobile. It is very mobile. There's precious little time in, in today's families for meeting around the dinner table to interact or to sit down together to study the Bible. The modern family is a family on the move, but moving in separate directions much of the time. Let me read just a little bit from a Reader's Digest article some time ago that will illustrate this point, I believe, very, very well. It's uh, an emphasis, it's by Maureen Mackey, who is uh, writing under the heading, Eating a Family Meal with Your Kids Makes You Healthier, Whether You Cook or Not. Finding time to eat dinner as a family has a host of benefits that go far beyond nutrition. Kids who eat with their family do better in school and are less likely to smoke, drink, do drugs, or get into fights than those who are left to their own devices come dinner time. But with two career households and demanding schedules, who has the time? You do, if you remember some key rules. And then she goes into some rules, uh, including allowing a little uh, leeway. And I'm not going to take time to uh, read all of these, but allow a little leeway, commit to it is the second, and then... Uh, uh, talk it out where they can share information about their lives. But here is a statement that I find interesting. Not that anyone advocates a blaring TV during dinner, but the study suggests it doesn't make much of a difference. doesn't make much of a difference if there's a blaring TV. When a family dines together, they eat better. They eat better. Now, that's, that's what we need to be most concerned about, isn't it? Nutrition. No, nurturing. We need to be more concerned about nurturing and that a TV is not blaring. Do they eat better or do they communicate better as a result of the family being together around the dinner table? As I read uh, this kind of article and this kind of emphasis, I think about a passage in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6. We've looked at it before. And these words, verse 6, beginning, which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. What about Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9? Where does the mobile family... Where does the mobile family moving in different directions find time for this kind of nurturing in the ways of the Lord? We've got to make sure that our families are among those families finding time to truly teach and use every opportunity that we, that we can to do so, as Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9 points out. The modern family is mobile. But we've got to make sure that we prioritize as a part of that mobility. But the family, according to modern society, is secondly, media mad. Media mad. 
Let me uh, cite some statistics uh, for you concerning, uh, and this is for the parent, from the uh, parents' uh, uh, television uh, council, and some of the information that they have, uh, they have given. The average daily TV time, four hours every day. Four hours a day. 54% of children have a TV in their bedroom. And 44% say they watch something different when they're alone than when they are with their parents. And notice this, 25% choose MTV. No child, no teenager should ever be allowed to choose MTV. It is filthy from everything I have learned about it or can understand about it. And if you doubt that, and I'll be so glad when they get through with this so that I can watch the news without having to turn away every time Miley Cyrus comes on there as they review that performance of hers at the MTV Awards, is my understanding, where that took place. Absolutely tragic indeed that a young girl could evolve into that kind of mindset, that kind of behavior, and, uh, and do that kind of thing. And yet, that's MTV. That's MTV. No child has any business having anything to do with MTV. And we've run stories in the past in our commentary segment on Good News Today about MTV uh, on some other occasions with some other incidents. And so it is simply not the kind of thing that our young people need to be choosing as they uh, choose 44% to watch uh, something different when they're alone than with their parents. There needs to be, obviously, that kind of parental control in the media-mad uh, society that we live in. And even young children, despite warnings from groups like the American Academy of Pediatrics, are being, quote, educated by uh, videos. And I have articles in my file on kids uh, uh, and is TV stunning your child's growth, other articles under that kind of title with that kind of emphasis. But despite the warnings from, uh, as we said, the American Academy of Pediatrics and others, uh, this kind of thing uh, continues. And when we think about uh, media madness, what about the Internet? That's a part of the media, and it is a growing part of the media. In fact, it is basically slowly but surely supplanting television in terms of uh, the media emphasis. And I've got some statistics here. Teens, 98% have used computers. 96% uh, have been online. 65% of that usage uh, is in the home, and 61% of the teenagers between the ages of 13 and 17 have an online personal uh, profile. These statistics were given some time ago by uh, Brother Robert Hatfield in his Truth for Youth uh, segment that he has done uh, going back to my days with GBN. And Robert's a fine young gospel preacher, but he had researched this and had presented that as a part of a Truth for Youth uh, uh, segment. And so the Internet obviously can be used for so many wonderful things but it can also be and is truly a tool, a tool that Satan uses and uses very effectively. And so we have to make sure that indeed we are aware and control uh, that use. But the family, according to modern society, is also materialistic. Materialism 
And the truth of the matter is that many parents are substituting things for time with their children. Things for time. Because they cannot give the time, perhaps they feel guilty about that and they try to substitute things. But this approach has serious consequences. As Deborah Hage, a child and family therapist, points out in an article entitled The Makings of a Human Bomb. I want to read uh, just some excerpts from uh, this article to you uh, this morning. It begins, I loved being angry. It made me feel very powerful. I loved killing animals because I loved how powerful it made me feel and how much it scared other people. I wanted them to see they were up against a very powerful person. My parents would try to discipline me, but every time I would get even with them, so they stopped making me do what I didn't want to do. Now, after a year, I have learned that love is stronger than anger. I never think about killing anymore. Anger doesn't have the lasting power that love does. That's a statement from a 14-year-old recovering from attachment disorder and overindulgence. The big question newscasters seem to be ending their stories with is why. And school officials and others are quoted as saying that's one of the great mysteries. How do you identify a student who is going to act out? Well, Deborah Hage says, if the population of children I work with as a therapist yields any clues, the answers to both questions are found in early childhood. The answers to both questions are found in early childhood. She goes on in another part of that article, what happens in the home during those first two years of life, which is so pivotal to later healthy brain and personality development. What happens? That's the question in those first two years. The answer, the parents are nurturing, caring, and present. The child learns from such parents that the world is a safe, nurturing, caring place. The type and quality of the bonding during this critical period reinforces a loving relationship with the parents, which directly determines the quality and strength of conscience formation, cause and effect thinking, and frustration tolerance. That is why it has been said we can either invest in the playpen or the state pen. And that is so true from other studies. But she says, in our two-income society, however, a new phenomenon has emerged. Children are being overindulged by parents who have more money than time to spend with them. The result is that children are being raised in financially secure but emotionally empty environments with little discipline and structure. Currently, this most common form of neglect is also the most socially acceptable. The societal ramifications of children who are overindulged and often emotionally left can be as severe as children who are considered attachment disordered due to abuse, neglect, abandonment, and multiple moves. She goes on later to say the parents in their zeal to make sure their child does not suffer from low self-esteem gush over every accomplishment, rewards for what others believe may be somewhat minor achievements are abundant far in excess of their true value. She talks about the overindulging of the child. And while their causes are opposed to one another, as she talks about uh, attachment, uh, uh, she said, in, our, in my experience, there are several reasons why a child would be so disaffected with society that he or she would want to blow it up and kill everyone in it. One is the child has been overindulged. The other is that the child has an attachment 
disorder. While their causes are opposed to one another, the results can look exactly the same. When they are coupled together, the result for the child can be mindless violence. Ted Bundy and Jeffrey Dahmer were attachment disordered. John Hinckley, who shot President Reagan, you remember, was overindulged. All had murder on their mind. Overindulged children grow up believing they are entitled to more than they are getting. And I believe we can see evidence of that. She said children who are overindulged lack conscience development. They have a conscience but do not need to use it as their parents have a tendency to rescue them from their mistakes. Do we think we live in a time when parents are rescuing their children from their mistakes? You know, how many times have you heard the illustration which where, or use the illustration yourself, that when you were a child, if you're an older person now, if you got a spanking at school, you got one at home when your parents found out about it. Now, many times, a parent, if they hear about us, if a parent hears about a spanking at school, they're on their way to the school. For what? To dress down the teacher or the principal or whoever's responsible for the discipline. And now, Spanking at school is something that would be considered abuse in today's society. And so the modern family is materialistic. And that's not to say, as she mentions about two-income families, that mothers cannot work outside the home. I'm not saying that a mother cannot work outside the home. But a mother still has a responsibility to be a keeper at home. And therefore, that mother has to prioritize and understand and appreciate the nurturing need that that child has, especially in those early formative years, because statistic after statistic proves very clearly that that is a very crucial period of time. I don't believe the Bible teaches that a woman cannot work outside the home, but I know the Bible teaches that the woman must, uh, must uh, prioritize. Well, that brings us to the next uh, point about the modern family. And tragically, the modern family, in many cases today, is motherless. Many families today are matriarchal. Uh, you have heard statistics uh, recently that uh, talk about how, uh, how many homes are homes with single mothers only in them. The father not present at all. The mother is the sole provider uh, for the children. That presents a tremendous uh, challenge. And then some are motherless by choice, as we said, because they choose to pursue uh, careers and, uh, and to uh, uh, fully uh, fulfill themselves based upon the feminist uh, influence and that, uh, that agenda. And they have no uh, concern, really, about being that keeper at home. And again, let me reiterate, I'm not saying a mother can't pursue work outside the home, but we have some who are pursuing that work outside the home without giving any real concern to whether or not they are prioritizing properly and that they are still balancing in such a way as to be the kind of mother that they need to be. And then... There's the sense in which the modern family is motherless because of the very thing that we read about in Brother Pugh's opening statement from his lecture. It's two dads, homosexual 
unions. There's no mother there because uh, all you have is, uh, is two uh, male individuals or sometimes two mothers and no dad because you've got two uh, women there. And there are states now that have made the adoption of children by these, quote, couples legal. And so the same-sex marriage phenomenon that is a growing phenomenon is having an impact as well. And there's no question about the fact that homosexual activists have what has been called in one article I want to quote from, has been called a marriage battle plan. Homosexual activists release marriage battle plan. This was an article that appeared back in 2008 uh, at onenewsnow.com. Uh, Jeff Johnson uh, was the author of uh, the article, uh, Make Change, Not Lawsuits. That's the mantra uh, of the marriage battle plan. And let me just give you a couple of quotes uh, from this. The pro-homosexual document that is, this, uh, this document that is mentioned in the article, the document is make change, not lawsuits. Well, let me give you the gist of it or the background at that time, and this was prior to the Supreme Court's ruling where they uh, legalized same-sex marriage in terms of uh, putting it back on the states from the standpoint of not, uh, uh, not defending the Defense of Marriage Act and uh, allowing the states to make these decisions. It was a victory of sorts uh, for the homosexual movement as they as they viewed that uh, decision. But back before that was done, uh, this Make Change Not Lawsuits was an advocacy on the part of, of homosexual groups that were saying don't push lawsuits because it could have a backfire uh, effect that if the Supreme Court does rule in our favor, it could cause states to counter that by making constitutional amendments at the state level that will forever ban the idea of, uh, of same-sex marriage. So they were afraid that by pushing too strongly for the Supreme Court to rule that they would actually uh, do themselves in because the states would in turn come back and say, okay, if the Supreme Court is going to do that, we're going to protect our state by instituting a constitutional amendment. Well, that was before the Supreme Court ruling. Now the Supreme Court has ruled uh, in that way. And yes, there are states, 25 I believe, that have constitutional amendments now in place that ban same-sex marriage. Tennessee is one of them. So that backfire effect, I suppose, has occurred to some extent, which is somewhat positive uh, from the state level. But here's the thing about this article that I think... Um, jumps out. The pro-homosexual document argues that homosexual couples who have, quote, married, should simply put their relationship in front of friends and family and demand that it be treated as normal. Now this is a process that Matt Staver, who's quoted in this article that we're looking at, he was the founder of Liberty Council. This process he calls progressive desensitization, which is what? The frog in the kettle. In fact, he mentions the frog in the, in the boiling pot. I call it the frog in the kettle. But it's the frog in the kettle. 
It is slowly but surely, and the latter part of the article, and I don't have this on the screen, says the idea, the goal, is that ultimately all of us will suddenly wake up in this country and same-sex marriage will be completely acceptable and absolutely normal. And we're headed in that direction. We're headed in that direction according to most recent polls as to the percentage of Americans that now approve of same-sex marriage. So after a brief examination of the mobile, media-mad, materialistic, and motherless modern family, there's another M word that well summarizes the situation that we face. We're in a mess. The family, according to modern society, is a mess. What is the only solution? The only solution to the mess is the master. The master and his pattern. And that is the pattern of God's word. The New Testament pattern. Contending for it lovingly but without compromise. But you cannot do that until you become a New Testament Christian. How can you uphold New Testament Christianity? How can you stand for New Testament Christianity in a, a loving way or any other way? And obviously you ought to do it in a loving way, but how can you take that stand until you have complied with the Master's pattern for becoming a New Testament Christian? And that involves believing that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, John 8, 24. Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins, Jesus said. But it's not belief alone. Because Jesus said, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Believe that I am he or die in your sins, repent or perish, how can it be faith alone? It can't be, as we have so often said. But beyond repentance, we must be willing to sweeten our lips with the most significant confession that has ever been or ever shall be made by mankind. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then, to become a son of God, a joint heir with Christ, as we spoke about in Bible class this morning, an heir of God and a joint heir of Christ, I must allow my faith to move me to be buried with my Lord in baptism, that I might be raised to walk in newness, of life. If you haven't done those things, we plead with you to do that this morning so that you can take your stand with other New Testament Christians to stand against sin and yes, to love the sinner but hate the sin. And I make no apology for that expression despite the fact that some have expressed that they don't like that or they're kind of tired of that. One individual recently I heard, tragically, there's nothing wrong with that statement. It's biblical. God loves the sinner, but God hates the sin. And we must be like God. Come away from sin, embrace the gospel, become New Testament Christians, and then be faithful unto death in order to receive the crown of life. If you have not been faithful to this point and you know this very day 
that you need to repent of sin that is known publicly. If it's private, as we always say, take care of it privately between you and your God. But if it needs to be confessed publicly and repented of in a public way to restore your influence, your example, and your precious soul to the one who loves you supremely, the God of heaven, we plead with you to do that now as we stand and as we sing.